We'll be continuing with our study in uh, this particular passage of Scripture and also looking at uh, these notes from the book, uh, Living on the Edge, Dare to Experience True Spirituality. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Shall we pray? Father, again, we give you thanks for your word and for the power that it has to change lives. And Father, I pray that as we look at this passage today that talks about the body of Christ, the church of which we are members, Father, would you help us to both find our place in the body and to use our gifts as fully as we can for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a couple questions. Number one, when you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? I think all of us, when we look at ourselves in our physical appearance, may have some things that we would like to have a little differently. Maybe some people want to be a little taller, a little shorter, a little thinner, uh, maybe uh, not quite as old, or maybe you like a little more hair even, you know, things like that as we look in the mirror. But what about on the inside? Do you like who you are? And if not, what would you change? Do you like who you are, the person that you are becoming? And if not, what would you like to work on and change? In his book, Living on the Edge, Chip Ingram shares his own struggles as a young man with coming to grips with who he really was as a person. And he said, you know, I grew up in a home where my dad was very performance-oriented. He had been a Marine, and so he was pretty strict, you know, and you had to measure up or you were expected to exceed in school and in sports. And so he said, what that produced in me was a highly driven, type A, goal-oriented workaholic with better-than-average people skills. I got good grades, and I earned an athletic scholarship to college. And I learned to get what felt like love by fulfilling the expectations of others. But he said, I was kind of a social chameleon. I would change depending upon which group I was with. He said, you know, if I was around teachers or those in authority, then I wanted to project this kind of all-American look, you know. It was yes, sir, no, sir, and it was, you know, do what was expected in hopes that I would maybe get better grades or get, uh, you know, be more highly thought of by those teachers. He said, when I was around girls, I learned to act sweet because girls like it when you act sweet, and I wanted to charm them and maybe get a date with some of them. 
And when I was around guys in the locker room, I learned that you needed to act tough and cuss like a sailor and recruit the biggest, strongest guy on the team to be your best friend. And he said, given my size, I needed that. And so he kind of found himself in all of these situations just changing. But he said, as time went on, I I just began to feel like a hypocrite with that. And I wondered, who am I really? Who am I? Have you ever done that? Have you ever acted one way around friends at church and differently around friends at school or at work? Have you ever acted one way at home with your parents, but then when you're away from home, act quite differently? That's hypocrisy. And it's time to stop pretending and discover the real you. I love this statement that Chip Ingram made in his book. He said, do you realize that the most attractive person you can be is the person God uniquely made you to be? The most attractive person you can be is the person that God has uniquely made you to be. He loves you. He's given you unique gifts and abilities, and he wants you to let those things shine. And I think one of the amazing things in heaven is going to see, you know, for us to see one another, to see everybody that we know who's there, and to see that person that God made us to be, with all the sin gone, all those selfish, prideful kind of things gone from our life, and you are just who God made you to be, and His glory shines through. Now, in this life, we want to strive to be like that. We want to be more and more like Christ and let the fruit of the Holy Spirit show in our life. But what a joy that's going to be to see that come out in us. And so there are three fundamental questions that we need to answer and that every person really strives to answer, whether they are a Christian or not a Christian. People wrestle with these things. And those three fundamental questions are this. The question of identity, who am I? The question of security, where do I belong? What group do I fit in with or who do I want to identify with? And then the question of significance, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? And of course, a Christian will answer those questions very differently than someone who doesn't know God. But every person strives to answer those kinds of questions. And maturity is coming to the place where you like the person that God has made you to be. Maturity is coming to that place where you can get up in the morning and you can look in the mirror and you can like what God is doing in your life and who you are. And you don't see that kind of hypocrisy. But you have become content with who God made you to be and what He has called you to do in this world. How do we discover that? How do we come to grips with the real you? Well, there are three things I'd like to point out from this passage this morning. Number one, in Christ we have a new identity. We see that in verse 3. In Christ we have a new identity. Who am I? I am a child of God, made in His image, and uniquely gifted. And Paul speaks from his own experience in verse 3 when he begins by saying, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. For by the grace given to me. 
When Paul looked back on his life, and here he is now an apostle of Jesus Christ, and God is using him to write these letters that are the very words of God for us, for the church. I mean, what an amazing thing. And Paul looked back on his life, and he would say, I am who I am by the grace of God. There's no merit on my part to bring me to this point. It was only by God's grace that he has done this work. And he told about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul says it's a remarkable thing that I'm even here. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a blasphemer of Christ. I was a violent man. But God had mercy on Paul and called him into his service and used him as this apostle to the Gentiles in an extraordinary way. But Paul gave all the credit for that to the Lord. And so Paul writes to us, and he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. There's no place for pride in the Christian life. There's no place for boasting about, you know, I've done this or that or or a little bit better than this person or that person. No, the glory goes to God. And yet at the same time, the Scripture would also say, don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought. It's kind of a false pride sometimes where we go, oh, you know, uh, no thank you, you know, and we just kind of want to point that some other way. And we do that in such a way that we are calling more attention to ourselves? No. You don't need to run yourself down either. Because you were made in the image of God. And as Dr. Kaiser said last week, God doesn't make junk. You are valuable to Him. You are precious in His sight. You are so valuable to Him that He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins that you could spend eternity with Christ. He loves you that much. And so we are to think of ourselves with sober judgment, Paul says. We would say sound judgment. You know, when somebody is drunk, their judgment is impaired. And when they are sober, they are able to think more clearly. And so Paul says, I want you to think clearly about this. We are to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that we have been given. And what is that measure of faith? Well, the measure of our faith or the standard that we look to is Jesus Christ. We want to become more like Him. It's not measuring ourselves against one another and kind of thinking, well, I'm doing okay because I'm not like this guy or that woman or somebody else. No, we are to look to Christ. And are we growing and becoming more like Him, more obedient? Are we letting His love shine through us and experiencing His peace and patience in our life? He's the measure of a man or woman. And ultimately, we need to see ourselves as God sees us, to look at our life through His eyes. One of the best ways that I know to do that is to see what God says about us in Scripture. And in the book Victory Over the Darkness that was written by Neil Anderson, uh, he took 36 statements that God makes about you and me in the Bible and he put them together in a list. 
I just picked out 10 here that I want to share with you this morning. If you want to see the full list, you can go to his book. But in answer to the question, who am I? He takes these passages of Scripture. I am the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus said about us in Matthew 5.13. I am the light of the world. Matthew 5.14. In other words, God wants to let his light shine through you to the people around you so that they can see Christ. I am a child of God, the Scripture says. I am a part of the true vine. Jesus is that vine. We are the branches and we belong to him. I am Christ's friend. When we sing, I am a friend of God, it's based on what the Scripture says about us. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit, fruit that will last through all of eternity. I am a joint heir with Christ. And what that says is that all of these things that Christ is going to inherit because of who he is, we are going to share in that inheritance in eternity. I am a temple of God. The Bible tells us that when we receive Christ, he places his Holy Spirit within us. Christ lives in us. We are now that temple. And God's Spirit lives in you. And I am a member of Christ's body. You know, when we think about membership in the local church, and why do we become members of a local church? Well, it's all based on Scripture. This is where the whole idea of membership started. It's from these analogies that Paul used. Of our being united to Christ is like being a member of the human body, for example. We belong to one another, he will say. And I am a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and new things have come. And so God wants us to meditate on these kind of passages that speak of who we are in Christ. And we need to let that truth sink into our heart and mind and then live differently. Live differently as a result of who you have become in Jesus Christ and let his love shine through you. In Christ, we have a new security. We see that in verses 4 and 5. Where do I belong? Where is my security? What is the group that I identify with? I belong to God, and I am a member of His family. And my security is found in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That, again, is what the Scripture wants us to believe and put into practice. And Jesus said this about those who would follow Him. In Mark 10, verses 29 and 30, He said, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. It's a statement again that what we give up is so much less than what we get back. What we gain as a part of being in the body of Christ is just such a greater blessing. The brothers and sisters that we have, our relationship with one another is just so much more encouraging and positive. We find our identity with those who are like-minded believers. And when he says that they will not fail to receive a hundred times as much, that's a pretty good return on an investment, isn't it? A hundred times as much? Think about that. 
And there's a statement of the reality of life in this world that along with that may come persecutions, suffering, sorrows, and loss. But in the age to come, it will mean eternal life. That's a pretty good return. Paul goes on to say that as a member of Christ's body, there are three things that we find in the body of Christ. Number one, we find unity. There is only one body, and it is Jesus. There is diversity. There are many members in the body of Christ, and we don't all have the same gifts or functions. And there is interdependence. We need each other. We come to that point where we see the blessings that come from working alongside of others who are different from us. And we find joy in that. It is just like our human body, our physical body. We have one body with many members, and they don't all have the same function. You know, our brain and our heart, our ears, our eyes, our nose, all have different functions. And each one is important. When any is missing, we feel that. We can't live without a heart or without our mind. We can live without a hand or a foot, or we can live being blind or deaf, but there's a loss there, isn't there? There's a loss when we experience those things in life. And the same is true in the body of Christ. I mean, think about if you came to worship this morning, and there was no worship team to lead us here in our singing. And we just kind of sat here and looked at one another for a while. It would feel kind of funny, wouldn't it? It would feel like, boy, we're, we're really missing something today in our service. Or what about if you came and there was no teaching from the Scripture? You came expecting to hear a word from God and there was nothing being said. And again, we just kind of looked here and wondered, well, what happened today? Why was there nobody to share a message from the Scripture? Or what if you came and there was no, no bulletin, no information there in front of you? Well, we could have our service, but there would be a lot of information that we want to communicate that would never happen if it wasn't for the time that's put into preparing even a bulletin for us. We need one another in the body of Christ. Each of us has a role. We need teachers, we need leaders, we need musicians and caregivers and builders and people with technical skills and those that are encouragers and helpers. We need you in the body of Christ. And when we understand how the body of Christ is supposed to function, it is liberating. We understand that, you know, we don't have to do everything. I don't have to do everything in the body of Christ. We can rely upon others to use their gifts in areas where we are not gifted. I don't have to be someone else, someone whom I'm not. I can be who God made me to be. And I can appreciate the gifts of other people. And not only that, I come to the point where I see I need people with different gifts to come alongside of me. And what a joy that is. You know, last Wednesday night I was here at church and I was walking down the hallway through the preschool wing over here, you know, and I run into Lisa Lazat and she's our preschool director and she goes, you know, if you don't have anything to do, you can help with cubbies tonight. You know, <laughs> and I kind of smiled and I said, you know, I really am much better with adults, you know, and that. And based on this passage, you know, I can be freed up to say, that's great. You guys are wonderful working with our little kids. And I have gifts and ability to work with adults, and I can use them in that way. 
Or I go down to the youth center and, you know, I see Justin working with the middle school students and all of the leaders on our youth ministry team there. And I I listen to Justin as he's trying to get their attention, you know, I don't know, about 80 middle school students all excited, energetic in there. And he's going, okay, you know, I'm going to count to three and I want you to be quiet and I want you to stay quiet, okay? One, two, three. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm really glad that I don't have to do that on Sunday morning. You know, you all listen really well. I don't have to continually be saying, okay, hold it down here, come on, you know, and do that. But I work with middle school students, and I understand what that is like, and I appreciate the gifts and the calling of the people in our church who work in that area. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Each one using the gifts that they have been given in their particular area of ministry. We need all of the gifts that are listed here and more. Which leads to the third point. In Christ, we have a new and eternal significance. We have a new and eternal significance. And the things that we do in this life are going to carry over in eternity. Why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, I am here to use my gifts to glorify God and serve others. That's our calling for every one of us. I am here to use my gifts to glorify God and to serve others. And that's what the scripture says, for example, in 1 Peter 4. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking, the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what discipleship is about. The, the goal of the Christian life isn't to become a disciple who just sits. You know, who comes and you hear something on Sunday morning, you go, that was really nice or good, and then you do nothing with it. That's not discipleship. A disciple is someone who multiplies his faith by building into the lives of others. We are all to be disciple makers. And you can do that, whatever gift you have. You can have someone who works alongside of you and you can mentor them. You can meet with someone that you are praying with and you're praying together or you are praying for them. There's someone that you could teach and pass on things that you have learned. There's someone that you can encourage or help or serve and you could work together in the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether it's in children's ministry or you're working on the building and grounds or you're working in the office or you're working in a class teaching. There is a place and there is a way that you can be sharing your faith and building into the lives of others. And in that same way, outside of the walls of the church, we are to carry on that ministry in evangelism, sharing our faith in Christ, building relationships, and making a difference in our world. All for God's glory. That's our calling as disciples. And when we look at the gifts that are mentioned here in Romans chapter 12, there's a couple things that I want to point out about this list. There are seven gifts mentioned here, but this list of gifts is not exhaustive. 
There are at least 19 different spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. And there may be many more than that. I mean, we are just looking at lists that are kind of representative. Here are some of the gifts in the body of Christ that God has given to us as believers. And then secondly, the concern is not with defining the gifts in this passage, but it's the concern that Paul has here is how we use them. We are to use them faithfully or diligently or generously and cheerfully. You know, he kind of assumes that we'll know what these gifts are, that we'll begin to recognize them in ourselves. If you need help with that, that's why we're offering that discipleship training opportunity. Class on Monday nights, and I'd encourage you to go to that. If you are wondering about maybe what's my gift or where can I serve in the body of Christ, take advantage of that class that Pastor Jason's going to be leading on Monday nights to discover your spiritual gifts and then use them in ministry. But Paul's concern here again is that we use them well to the best of our ability for God's glory. Listen to how he puts it again in verses uh, 6 and following. He says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Seven gifts, all absolutely essential, needed in the body of Christ. We need people who will speak God's word forcefully, who will teach what the scriptures mean who will come alongside of people who are hurting to comfort and encourage, who will be there to give leadership in the church and decisions that are made, who will give generously so that the Lord's work can continue and be a blessing to others. All of those gifts are needed. So what are the gifts that God has given to you? And how are you using them? Are you using them faithfully, diligently, generously cheerfully what a joy it is when we discover our gifts and begin to use them alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ we have eternal significance your life has eternal significance the things that we do here today and in the days and weeks ahead will count for eternity when they are done for the glory of God and what a joy that is to see it happen every week as we see this ministry taking place in our church and in our community. So how would you answer those questions? Of who am I and where do I belong and what am I to do with my life? Well, what I'd like us to do together this morning in closing is to read these statements in unison as they come up on the screen. Would you join me? In Christ... I have a new identity. I am a child of God. In Christ, I have a new security. I belong to God, and I am a member of His body. In Christ, I have a new and eternal significance. I am to use my gifts to glorify God and serve others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these statements of truth that are based upon your holy word. And Father, help us to live them out each and every day. Help us to discover our gifts if we don't know what they are. 
And help us to use them fully in a way that encourages others, that reaches out in our community to help others to know you as Savior and Lord. That is a blessing, a blessing to those that we come in contact with each and every day. And Father, we want you to be honored and glorified in all of it. So would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And would you empower us for effective and fruitful service as we go from this place today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.